ICA presents. The noise you just heard is the sound of the interrobang. A non-standard punctuation mark, the interrobang's appearance is its explanation. An exclamation mark superimposed directly on a question mark. The theme for the 2022 International Communication Association Annual Conference, One World, One Network, ends with an interrobang. The symbol simultaneously celebrates and problematizes the oneness in the modern age of global communication. This podcast series features episodes hosted by the six co-chairs of the conference theme. In this episode, co-chair Professor Dean Freelon hosts a discussion with a panel of hand-selected guests about their experiences as black scholars in the field of communication. Here's Dean. My name is Dean Freelon. I am an associate professor at the Husman School of Journalism and Media at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Here with my colleagues, Meredith Clark. I am an associate professor um, and center, uh, director of the Center for Communication, Media Innovation, and Social Change at Northeastern. Oh, I, love, I love to hear it. I love to hear <laughs> uh, words like that. And of course, there's uh, Charlton uh, McElwain, who is at NYU in... Uh... It's the Department of Media, Culture, and Communication, and also Vice Provost for Faculty Engagement and Development here at NYU. Okay, great. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. This is somewhat uh, of a reunion. We've, we've co-authored a couple of pieces together, and I, I really... Uh, admire your work. And uh, I wanted to just get this conversation started about um, being Black in communication, because uh, I feel like it's something that we don't really talk about enough, possibly because there aren't enough of us to talk about it, and that we don't get into a room, the same room, you know, often enough to talk about it. So I don't think anybody needs, you know, regardless of what ratio, I don't think anybody needs us to tell them that communication is overwhelmingly white. Field, right? The theme of this podcast series is One World, One Network. So I, I think there is some sense in which we are uh, one network. You know, we're all in the field of communication, right? We're all in this discipline, but like there's different neighborhoods of it, right? So we're kind of, we're kind of like in the hood of the network, okay? I think we can say this. <laughs> there's a little bit of separation. It might be like that one street that like runs is like, you got like the whole big rest of the neighborhood over there and you got us over here. The first question I want to ask, and I'm, I'm going to uh, let Charlton start with this one is, um, could you talk a little bit about your uh, grad school experience and just how it was for you, you know, being a black dude in a communication department whenever you went? Yeah, well, I, um, I went to grad school at the University of Oklahoma. Um, I actually went there for my uh, a master's degree first and then separately to communication for the, uh, for the PhD. Uh, my, my transition from uh, what was a master's in human relations to a department of communications. Uh, I spent my first year um, not funded. Um, I had to pay on my own, got loans, um, and thought it was, you know, a blessing and uh, and so forth that I just got in. So I was grateful and didn't look around really at the inequities in which everybody else in the doctoral program that was uh, white was getting uh, fellowship funding. I was not, you know, I was reading all this uh, black studies, taking courses over in the English literature department, but I was doing all that kind of on my own, right? I'm reading. I didn't have a professor to bounce things off to to have that language. Um, so it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a hostile place, but it wasn't a place and program where I felt like 
I was really getting uh, sort of nurtured and developed in the way that uh, and other folks were. Oh my goodness, wow, okay. Um, I have a lot to react to there, but I wanna hear about Meredith's experience first. Um, yeah, there are a lot of parallels um, actually to Charlton's experience. Um, I came from an HBCU. I am a two-time graduate of Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and that's a historically black college or university for anyone um, unfamiliar with that acronym. And my master's was in journalism, but I worked in the field for a few years and it was because of decisions that I saw that were being made without real research behind them that I decided I wanted to go and get a PhD. And so this was 2010. Um, so I went to UNC Chapel Hill and I was kind of an oddball in my program. Uh, there were two black women who were admitted in my cohort and my uh, friend and I, remain friends to this day, but we often joke that uh, they decided they would never do that again because in the years following, there was like one black person admitted in each <laughs> cohort. And I didn't come from a program where I'd had a lot of research training. I wrote a thesis, but that's because I insisted on doing it. And so I show up at this PhD program. I'm trained as a professional journalist, but I don't have the same sort of academic grounding that everyone else has. I wound up writing my dissertation on Black Twitter, but I was there with a committee um, with, for whom, with the exception of one person, no one really knew what Twitter was. <laughs> they had no idea what Black Twitter was. And so I was in this position to sort of be the expert long before um, we consider PhD students experts, right? But I had to essentially teach my committee about the dynamics of social media and about the dynamics of Black community in this way. Um, it was still very an isolating, a very isolating experience. Um, I felt like I was failing because I wasn't achieving things as quickly or seemingly as easily as other people. Um, I'll, I'll speak a little bit to my experience. Um, I think in many ways it mirrors uh, what I've heard from, from you two. So um, I went to graduate school. I got my master's and PhD from the University of Washington. Now, I'm a North Carolina native. North Carolina is 22% black. I go to Washington. Washington is 5% black. And the entire time I was in the program, I was the only black male student there. My thought is, if this is what I have, if this is what I really want to study, this is what I have to go through. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's really only been recently uh, that I've really been able to look up and be like, wow, you know, kind of jacked up. There were more of us back there, right? <laughs> and so it's really only been in the last few years that I've been able to kind of like step outside of that a little bit and say, what are some ways that we can integrate some, you know, like blackness into this very like white thing? Right. Um, so the next question I want to get into here, and I'll start with you here, uh, uh, Meredith, is currently what are some of your biggest challenges uh, being black in the field of communication research today? Being black in anything is is a challenge, right? When you think about a world that is so defined by anti-blackness, by the creation of blackness as negation, um, getting up and deciding to be something and to do something and to affirm yourself and others is a challenge every day. Um, having to make the case for the kind of work that we want to do is also difficult. And that is everything from educating reviewers about the importance of the work that we're doing with it centering on blackness and, and black people, 
um, to having to talk to funders who are somewhat interested in our projects, but tend to see us through sort of an anthropological or sociological lens where we're pathologized. And I remember very um, specifically, I think it was either in my first year, uh, maybe my second, but I remember a colleague in my department saying right to my face, um, these words, you are an inferior scholar, right? At a time that I enter a department with very little direction, very little mentorship, um, I'm prepared in the ways that I know that, you know, I got to put my head down, I got to work, I got to research, I got to write, I got to do all these things, but in a place that's basically like, glad you're here, glad you're here, see you in a few years, hope you make it. Um, but to know that I'm walking into a place that not only does that, but where other colleagues are saying things like that, um, you know, is then made for several years of, you know, the, the profound imposter syndrome. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to have been uh, successful in much of that part of the career. I'm a full professor, uh, I'm a vice provost at my institution. Um, in many ways, one would say I've uh, made it. Um, but the, the struggle is uh, still there. And sometimes you get pushback when you talk about, you know, what counts as academic excellence, what counts as research excellence, when you've got people saying, look, your, uh, your qualitative research work about race isn't the kind of stuff that we do or is valuable. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, it's, it's, I, gotta, I gotta be honest with you, Charlton, like, it's incredibly upsetting to hear that somebody said that to you. Uh, uh, to your face, um, in terms of contrasting with my experience, like when I came to grad school, like I knew how to code, but like almost nobody knew how to do it. And so right. like, I feel very fortunate in that like my academic credentials have never been challenged, but I think part of that reason for that is because I came into a situation where I knew how to do something that like most white people didn't know how to do. I think in, in that ways, in some ways at least, um, that maybe like backstays my blackness a little bit for some people. They were like, oh, he's the data science guy. Oh, and he's black too, which is also great, you know. Um, but some of the challenges for me specifically have been um, things that you all have talked about, which is like getting people to take race seriously. Uh, you know, one of the ways that I dealt with that in my early work was uh, doing work that did not center race. And my thought was, well, okay, uh, I'm going to do this for a little bit and then I'm going to pivot. And that's basically what happened. And I think that that has, you know, that's not a strategy that, strategy that I would necessarily recommend to everybody, but I think it actually worked well for me because by the time I started talking about it, people couldn't backtrack on all the nice things that I already said about me. So, but another big challenge for me is attracting um, black grad students. Um, I found that to be uh, a challenge. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what, uh, you know, what is going through the mind of the uh, black grad student when they're trying to apply to various places. Is it... Do I want to go someplace where my people are? Am I looking specifically at the department, seeing what the racial makeup of that is? And so, uh, so attracting grad students has been a real, a real challenge uh, uh, for me because I feel like this field, at least potentially, has a lot to to uh, to offer black students, especially when you've got, you know, uh, culturally sensitive professors doing the teaching and the instruction. Um, next question, I have just a couple more here. What changes in our discipline would you like to see? to make the field more hospitable to black people and perspectives? Mm. Wow. Um, we could spend all the remaining time, I'm sure, and more. <laughs> right? Uh, right? <laughs> right? Am I right? 
And, <laughs> and it's hard to even pinpoint where change has to start because really it's got to start at everywhere simultaneously. I would probably say I've gotten 20 to 25, I'm sure both of you the same way, emails this year, um, black graduate students um, want to work with me, want to get advice. And, I, and the reality is I, I can't answer all of them. Uh, I can't answer very many of them. I certainly can't work with many of them. Uh, and my sense is that that phenomenon happening across different registers is probably discouraging some folks from pursuing their degrees. All of it, I think, ha uh, having the effect of um, keeping the representation of uh, folks, black folks in the pipeline uh, headed to where we are um, thin in a way is, that's not sustainable. Um, I think that, you know, people are still um, getting to departments that are inhospitable. So we have to be in bigger numbers. We have to be represented. We have to be uh, in a place where we have communities that are built into departments that help to um, uh, push graduate students that come in uh, on a path towards success, uh, or at least success in a shorter time frame and a much more uh, healthy um, uh, way of going about it. Excellent. No, I, I love it. Um, I had, I've had this idea just kicking around my head. I'm just going to. What if at ICA we had a black caucus, right? Across all disciplines, right? Anybody can do it. Room doesn't have to be all black people. It should be mostly black. But if you can get with it, you can be in there. If you're okay being in a room full of black people, you can do it. If you're okay Please. centering blackness. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. What do you think? Yeah. I love it. Everyone is looking for some sense of safety and security and community. And I think the more places and ways that we can find to create that, uh, the better. I'm all in. Yeah, same same here. And I think, uh, um, but as Meredith uh, uh, just alluded to, having that centralized. So not just having the caucus, but that the caucus has some way of uh, uh, structuring the conference for a given year, um, rather than just being sort of, uh, you know, off to the side. Uh, so so yeah. great to get your endorsement. Now, I guess I got to do it since I said it. <laughs> um, yep. You're in charge. Anyway, Meredith, <laughs> Meredith, changes you'd like to see? Oh, changes I'd like to see are are so wide ranging. I want more people to check themselves, um, take seriously the books and the readings and the reflections that they are doing and examine their practices for signs of anti-Blackness. I think uh, something that is so small, like who are you, you know, when we're making these relationships among faculty members and students, who are you seeking out for those relationships? Who gets invited to your house? Black students see and know when we are being excluded. In between, I would like to see more support for students to collaborate, uh, not only with other faculty members, but with other students across universities. And that requires money. It requires time. It requires resources. But what that does is it allows students to build the networks that they may not be able to have at their home institution. Um, you can bring in pairs of Black students, you can bring in small clusters of folks, but that's still not enough to supplant the structures that we are up against. And then finally, um, I really want us to examine the practices of anti-Blackness that we have enshrined in the academy. 
the peer review process itself, how many peers can you have when the percentages of black faculty, of faculty of color, of faculty from marginalized backgrounds, of any race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status are so low? We're kidding ourselves to say that it's some sort of peer review. We are not the same. We don't have the same experiences. And we need to admit that these are very flawed systems. There may be other ways to do things um, and be more open to that. My grandmother, you know, God rest her soul. I mean, like, she was all about the positivity. So I got to honor that right now. Uh, and, the and the question is, what are some positive experiences you have had that are rooted in your blackness? And I will start this one. I'm sure that you both and many folks in the listening audience will know about the, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones incident that happened over the summer where the Board of Trustees, it was, you mm -hmm. know, folks uh, saying, oh, well, we, we brought her up for a vote, but then we didn't. And then, you know, stories conflicting and all of this, uh, culminating in them finally offering her uh, tenure in, uh, at the very uh, end of, uh, of May and then her declining and deciding to go, go to Howard. But one thing that happened in the wake of that incident was being able to look at how the faculty in my department reacted was incredibly... Uh, illuminating, eye-opening, mm -hmm. and gratifying for me because there were some faculty members who, I'm, not, I'm talking about non-black faculty members, who were incredibly supportive and who said all the things that I wish that they could say and that was great. So just, just that sense of knowing who your allies are, who is willing to stick up for you, who's willing to uh, lay their credibility on the line to expose themselves to harassment and attacks for you was incredibly gratifying. Who, um, I, mean, I think the thing of, of, of being around for so long, number one, and seeing some of the changes, uh, even though it's not enough, is um, being able to have that community and able to, uh, uh, being able to work with folks like you and being able to, to be at a point in time where we can look around and say there are black folks that are in uh, senior positions of scholarship that are doing things that are... Um, uh, connected to the things that we always said we would do if we got to where we are. It's great to be in a place where you can have a conversation that centers blackness, that you can center black ways of thinking and knowing uh, and doing and, uh, and cultural ways of interacting uh, and that being the normal. You know, we're not hiding, we're not putting on the performance when we're in this space. Really just seeing the work received by people outside of academia. That is one of the most affirming things um, that I can imagine. I feel the great privilege of being able to read and write and think for a living. When I see quotes from um, some of my written work on Instagram and on TikTok and being used <laughs> in people's social media posts, I like am just overjoyed. You know, my my dad when I was getting a PhD, he's like, "What do you mean you're studying the internet?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's like, "You better be able to get a job." And it's just great to be able to say, you know, God rest my dad's soul. But yeah, Dad, I I was able to do it, and it's having an impact. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate this. It's been a really really great conversation. My hope is that this reaches. Uh, all kinds of people who have any interest in blackness and uh, as far as it goes in communication. Um, and so I, I really look forward to uh, exploring that idea of how to forge connections, but also how to, how to build strength both between and within, right? Mm -hmm. So consolidating that within through, through a caucus or other types of processes that bring people together who are the only ones in their departments across disciplines, across 
uh, methodological approaches, um, but also figuring out where your allies are. I mean, for me, when I think about One World, One Network, that's kind of how I think about it. I think about, you know, within and between, and that's kind of how I want to move forward. So uh, that's it from me. Thank you. Thank you, Dean, for bringing us, uh, bringing us together. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This podcast series is presented by the International Communication Association in the lead-up to the 2022 annual conference in May. One World, One Network is sponsored by the Annenberg Center for Collaborative Communication at both the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania and the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism at the University of Southern California. This episode was produced by Christian Elliott. Our executive producer is Aldo Diaz Caballero. The theme music is by John Preston. For more information about our participants on this episode, as well as our sponsor, please see the show notes. Be sure to listen to other episodes in the series where we continue exploring the conference's theme, One World, One Network, from the perspectives of the conference theme's other co-chairs. Thanks for listening.